0: I wish i had taken more psychology courses when I was in university, as I'm so fascinated by human behavior. How much of how we think, feel, and do is dictated by our environment, our circumstances, and how much is actually just baked into our DNA. I can tell you the chatter that matters has shown me a sign of humanity that's far more courageous and resilient than I ever knew. I'm inspired when people share their stories of overcoming circumstances with perseverance and possibility when these circumstances are life-threatening, when someone walks to the doorstep of death or has a drastic change in their life and find a way back, what I'm particularly interested in is how they value their life differently. It's almost like every grain of sand that passes they treasure versus I would say that to many others that we don't have that experience, we just watch time passes by. They also have a view on life of gratitude. Now this isn't a scientific study, I have no research to back it, it's just more intuitive. My guest today is Jane Enright. She's a testament to my theory. She's a former kindergarten teacher, strategic planner, university lecturer, and the founder of my super awesome life.
1: Acceptance is really the first step in navigating any kind of change, especially rapid unplanned change. Now, acceptance doesn't mean that you have to like what is happening, but accepting that change is happening keeps you away from re- resistance and denial, and it moves you into the more positive end of the spectrum and really helps you get into problem solving mode.
0: You'll soon hear how our life changed in a second and in a place that you would never imagine there could be risk. And thankfully, she's here to share her story.
2: You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC.
0: Jen Enright, welcome to Chatter That Matters.
1: Oh, Tony, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here.
0: The saddest thing about doing podcasts is, even though I use little video clips, is that my audience can't see the guests. So I just want to describe this unbelievable smile that's greeting me right now. Ear to ear, she just has great positive energy. I think we're going to be in for a fantastic show. Now, Shakespeare couldn't have scripted the three tragedies that you've lived through, and in a year. It's changed everything in your life, and it wasn't for the better. And it all began in 2017. But before we get to those tragedies, and I know the audience is going to want to hear about it, first, let's establish your life prior. Who's Jane Enright, the people that are most important in your life, and what did you do to enjoy life?
1: Basically, I mean, an ordinary person in many ways, um, you know, two children, um, I was engaged, I lived in a beautiful home. Self-made, I worked very hard. Um, graduate of McMaster University, you know, started my own business in 1997, traveled around the world, uh, lecturing to people and um, talking about uh, their problems in their companies as a strategic planner, helping them navigate change and never even imagining or thinking that my life could change in an instant.
0: And what was the things that really made your eyes shine and your and your heartbeat where you just felt like this beautiful canvas of your life was just going to unfold and, and you were going to just draw the pictures that you wanted to live.
1: Great question. Well, you know what? Um, I'm a very social person. So my family, family and friends, spending time with my family and friends, traveling, experiencing other cultures, helping others. You know, I've always been a doer, always been a helper. And so helping helping people solve their problems, you know, in their companies was really gratifying for me and uh, really trying to make the world a better place. I worked with a lot of not-for-profit and volunteered with Special Olympics and just things that fulfilled my heart, following my heart, but also following, you know, the activities of others that drew me into their experiences too.
0: You know, you strike me as a very intelligent person. And what you're presenting is someone that can synthesize a lot of random points and help people and guide them to where they want to go. Is that a fair statement of Jane Enright in terms of the helper, the consultant, the self-made businesswoman?
1: Yes. And you know what, that, that was rudely interrupted. <laughs> if I could put in a line from, from Shakespeare, you know, it was rudely inter, that part of me was rudely interrupted when, in 2017, in April, 2017.
0: So I want you to set to stage because when I read your story and I imagined that, you know, how random this was and how serious. So just set the stage of where you were on that day and what happened.
1: So I was in Waterloo, Ontario, and I was sitting in the stands. i driven my, my son was playing, my younger son was playing uh, rep volleyball, loving it, volunteering with the team. And um, I was sitting in the stands where I was supposed to be sitting in the spectator stands, just, you know, watching the kids warm up. And all of a sudden, boom, I got slammed in the face with a volleyball. And I don't mean a little tap. It takes about 1.7 seconds for a volleyball from when you spike a volleyball. It was a spike that came at me. And um, I was breathless. I was, it was like all the energy left my body in an instant.
0: I would imagine most people around you, I don't know what your faculties were, would probably say, oh, that was a tough blow that you'll shake off maybe after a headache or some Aspirin or might even be a a slight concussion, but you got a very different report when the doctors looked at you, didn't you?
1: You know, I should tell you too, I'll I'll share, I'll be very candid with you. When I got hit, I didn't know what hit me. It was blackness. It was all of a sudden the world went black. I remember, and I I had, I mean, I'm being very graphic. It was like a, a car accident. I had blood streaming from my nose that wouldn't stop. I was dazed, I was confused, and it was, what happened? What happened? In my brain, it's like time stopped, Tony. If you can imagine just your whole life, just boom, rudely interrupted, halting in an instant. The interesting part about this was that I was at a public event and there was no EMS. There was no ambulance. There was no paramedics or anything like that. There was no first aid available. It was the coach of the team who was ironically, and I don't think this is a coincidence, an ER doctor who put coffee stir sticks <laughs> beside my nose to try and stop the bleeding. Now I'm, I can laugh about this now. At the time it wasn't funny, but I'm taking a very outside in thinking approach, right? I'm taking the emotionality out of it and helping you understand what happened to me. But it was the most one of the most traumatic moments of my life
0: when you talk about life changing experiences you know people might reference a, a elton john's concert but in your case this was life changing this wasn't just stopping the bleeding that volleyball did some serious damage to your brain
1: it did it did and you know what i went from a very articulate organized executive functioning person to dory in finding nemo You know, Dory's always asking for the address. She's always asking, sorry, could you repeat that, please? It wasn't that I'm not still intelligent and I I can't still think. I mean, I've, I've shown you with my work and I've won awards for my work now about my story that I can still do that. And I've shown myself, but it was, why is this happening? I was, I was fuzzy. I was just, my whole life was fuzzy. It was like looking through a blurred lens. Of life.
0: When did it sort of hit you that this might not be something that's going to be, you're going to shake off easily? This isn't just a good night's sleep and an ice bag, but that that fog might be around for a very long time.
1: When I couldn't find my words. And, you know, I'm talking to you very clearly and articulately now, but it's taken me, you know, a lot of time with a speech pathologist and speech therapy to do this. But it was really, it was August of twenty. 20- 17 when I first met my speech pathologist, Dee Sperry, who was really a life changer for me. She said, Jane, I want you to do this test for me. I want you to write down. I'm going to give you a series of tasks and I want you to put them in order. You have a business call to make. You have to go to a meeting. You have to. Draw up a proposal. Multitasking was part of my life, Tony. I was very easy and fluid, and I could remember your name and I could remember remember your face and I could remember the context of where I met you and I could speak to someone on the telephone and cook dinner at the same time and you know yell to my kids, Hey, you gotta get ready for hockey. But I started to cry when I was in her office because I couldn't put the events in a sequence logically and think about them as I should or how I could have in the past. And that's when I knew, wow, Jane, you can't just blow this off. You've got to really work and take care of yourself and focus on yourself so that you can get better.
2: You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman presented by RBC.
1: First of all, I thought, well, maybe he's pulling my leg, right? Because he always had a good sense of humor. I live with you. I sleep with you. How old are you? How old am I? Childlike questions. So boom. I always say to people when I'm speaking out, what would you do?
0: Today I'm speaking with Jane Enright. We're actually all lucky to be hearing from her because she suffered three horrific tragedies in the same year and wrote a book about it. Do you think it's harder for someone like you that had been a conductor of an orchestra that effortlessly moves players around, scores the music, uh, you know, reads the room? Is, is it tougher for someone like you when you suddenly realize that everything you took for granted, everything you did exceptionally well, everything that brought you around the world is to speak was just disappeared.
1: You know, I think I think that's a really good analogy. We can't miss what we never had is an expression that most people use. So, and we can and there's there's two emotions in life, I believe, love and fear. If we're fearful about the unknown, if we're fearful about what comes next, and I think that's what I had to really come to terms with is the acceptance of, you know what, Jane? you are going to get through this, but right now things aren't always as they should be or or as they were. And so that was a big part of my life for the first bit was the acceptance of my life has changed. My circumstances have changed. It's not that I'm not capable because inside it was like this little voice fighting to get out. I know what I want to say. I know what I want to do. I know what I want to think about, but I couldn't, the, the signal from my brain to my sensory system wasn't functioning and processing as, as well as it could. And as my neurologist would say at the time, he said, Jane, we all have a gas tank in our life. We all have, our brain is like a tank of gas and it fuels our thinking. It fuels our vision. It fuels our mind. It fuels, fuels our mindset. And when you get hit in the head with such force as you did, one, you're lucky to be alive to your reserves go down. So my capacity to think as I used to um, as quickly as I used to, the executive functioning level was not as as razor sharp as it used to be.
0: And you talk about one of the things that helped you move forward was accepting what you had. How about the people around you? I mean, you have a fiance, you have your boys. what how did they come to terms with, The old mom versus this new mom or this old fiance versus my new fiance.
1: I mean, I'm, I'm blessed to have loving, you know, loving partner and, and loving uh, children, but it was challenging for them to not have mom. Mom was tired. Mom had headaches. Mom couldn't find her words. Mom would say, you know, guys, can you repeat that? Or, you know, can you turn up the TV? I can't hear that. Or I'd have to tune out. I would be in a restaurant and I'd have to say, Could we move? I can't deal with this right now because it's too much for me to deal with.
0: And how about you as an individual, someone that took great pride in helping others and being sort of that Yoda that helped people get to where they want to go. All of a sudden, you were dependent on others. Is that a tough psychological shift for you or did you even know that was really happening?
1: You learn about your life often backwards rather than, you know, living forwards. And in retrospect, when I started thinking about what happened to me in the outside thinking mode that Michael Singer espouses, yes, I saw that. Not on overthinking, I wasn't dwelling on it, but it was just like, you know, you are used, Jane, you're used to being the CEO of everything. It's like God said, here, you need a timeout, right? You need a timeout. You need time to slow down, think about what's important to you, Rethink your life. And that's where D, that's where really I started writing rather than speaking. And I'm, I'm still very choosy or, or cautious about who I speak with. And I'm, I'm blessed to be speaking with you because you understand where I'm coming from. Some people don't. When, when I say to people, sorry, could you repeat that? I can't quite hear what you said. It's like they say, well, what do you mean you weren't listening? It's not that I wasn't listening. It's just that I don't hear the same way I used to, but I hear differently. I see the world differently. I'm I'm much more introspective and I'm much more attuned to others than I was. I was very empathetic before, but I would say I'm more attuned to the way I think and other people think and our thoughts and our mindset now.
0: If the audience remembers at the beginning of the show, I talk about three tragedies in one year, and the second tragedy happens when you're starting to slowly make your way back. Yes, and there's one day you're you know in the shower, you're getting ready to go out, and you're doing what everybody does is heading out the door, but you get stopped in the tracks because Clayton, your fiance's is on the sofa.
1: It was an intuitive sense. Um, I was in the shower. I, I was getting ready to walk out the door, and the house was very quiet. Clayton's office was upstairs on the second floor and I yelled, bye hon, I'll see you later, I'm going to yoga and I didn't get an answer. Thinking he might be on the phone with a call in a different time zone as he usually was because he worked around the world, I thought, oh, I'll just leave it. Something in my gut said, don't walk out that door, you need to find out where he is. And I found him, I was calling around the house and I I went into the living room. And I found him in a chair, just sort of semi-conscious. And I said, see, what's going on? What happened? And he didn't answer. It was almost like he was, again, his, his life had stopped. He was still awake, but he wasn't really all there. I put my hand behind his head and it was filled with blood. And I said, my God, what happened to you? And he couldn't answer me. And then I asked him who I was and what happened, and he said, you're Jane, and I said, "Well, where do we live?" He couldn't tell me his address. He couldn't tell me if he had children. He couldn't tell me anything more. I immediately called nine one one, and that's when the paramedics came. And that was the second tragedy in less than eight months for us. Was that he had fallen? He had hadn't he had had a uh, an accident the night before. He came home as many people do, shook something off. He didn't even share it with me. He'd hit a parked car and I didn't even know it. I didn't know it until the paramedics ran back in the house after taking him to the ambulance saying, Jane, I think he's had an accident. We didn't know whether he'd gone out for milk in the morning. We didn't know whether he'd hit a parked car. You know, we didn't know whether he'd hit someone else. We just knew that something had happened And he couldn't tell us what happened. So piecing it all together took a good 14 days because he ended up going to the hospital and being in and out of this sort of conscious, semi-conscious state where he woke up and looked at me and he said, I don't know who anyone else is here. I can't remember anyone's name, but you're the nicest and the prettiest. He woke up with with his life erased. So I had my life almost erased. He had everything erased.
0: And you even use a metaphor in your book, which I think is so, by the way, your book is absolutely beautifully written. Oh, you. And you use a Zamboni, you know, the, if for, for my American audience, if you're not hockey fans, it's the tractor that comes out and <laughs> clears the ice in the hockey rink. And you kind of use that as how fast your relationship changed. Yes,
1: it was upside down, not right side up. And, and I, you know, my life was upside down before that. And it was like, why is this happening? And here's a man literally waking up in the hospital happy, but he can't remember who I am. He can't remember meeting me. He can't remember getting engaged. He doesn't remember traveling with me. I'm I, I live with you. Jeez, I must be a lucky son of a bitch. <laughs> you know? And that's that was that's Clayton. He had he still had it. He didn't have his memory, but he had a feeling. He had that feeling that, hey, I feel good around you. And as you and I were were talking, we said, I you said, Jane, I love your energy. And I said, you know what, Tony? I love yours too. It's that feeling we get when we're with people that we feel comfortable with, that light us up, that don't drain us. They they are on the same frequency, so to speak, in life. And I think that's what saved our relationship is Although he couldn't remember any of these things, he knew I was kind and he knew he felt good around me. And because a lot of people, our egos can get in the way. A lot of people would have been in that situation, probably said, well, what do you mean you can't remember me? I've lived with you for six years. What do you mean? But I didn't see it that way. I didn't see it that way. I just thought to myself, wow, wow.
0: This is Tony Chapman. When we come back, Jan Enright struggles to get the words out as her world is rocked once again by tragedy. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. Did you know a traumatic brain injury happens every three minutes in Canada? an impact on the victim, the family, and our healthcare system, while it can be emotionally, physically, and financially paralyzing. Add to that our aging population dealing with dementia and other brain disorders. So a big shout out to the RBC Foundation for being part of Brain Canada since day one and investing more than $2 million to fund Breakthrough Research. Supporting and advancing world-renowned research while it matters to you, to our healthcare system, and to RBC.
2: You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC.
0: Today I'm speaking with Jane Enright. Three horrific tragedies hit her in a single year. And yet she found the courage to write a book called My Super Awesome Life. Within eight months, you go from CEO Jane to your own horrific brain injury, starting to make your way back, and then Clayton, his brain's even is erased. Oh, yes. And then within all of this is your two sons as well that are saying, where's my mom? What's going on? How did you even compartmentalize? How did you even organize it knowing that it wasn't that long ago? You're in your therapist's office and you couldn't even put three things together on a schedule.
1: I very quickly, I talk about this in Butterside Up. I did a SWAT. I took my critical thinking skills from my work. As a strategic planner and i said you know jane if you're if you have any hope of getting this you know through this or helping clayton get through this or helping your son still have their mother you got to treat it like a project this is going to be project memory first of all what are the strengths of this what are the challenges what are the threats and what are the opportunities and i very quickly wrote down on a hospital napkin like hey If this guy that I love can't remember who I am, at least I'm going to, I'm going to get him through the hospital system so he can have the best quality of life possible. You know, when COVID hit us all. You know, people were like, Oh my gosh. I I don't know what the next five minutes was going to bring. Well, I was the same thing. I don't, you know, my crystal ball is in the shop. I don't know what the next five minutes is going to bring, but I know that I love this person. I know that I have skills that other people don't have because now I've been in the hospital with them for 15 days straight. Plus my own experience visiting the hospital, and I know he needs an advocate, and so do I. So I very quickly sort of summoned my posse, my team around me, and said, "Okay, I need someone that knows the healthcare system. I need to go back to D and and let her know what's happened, so she can help me cope. I need I need strategies, and that's what I talk about. I talk, I call it my OMG, my outside and thinking, mindfulness, gratitude." Looking at things from the outside in, it keeps us out of the weeds of overthinking. Helps us really find clarity of thought. So that was the first thing, and really being more mindful, really being present, and taking carving time out for myself every day, and saying, you know what, I don't know what the next five minutes is going to bring, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to listen to some positive music. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to I'm going to prepave my day and get my mindset into it. I can handle anything.
0: Great advice, but at the same time. I mean you asked the doctor the question that anyone would ask, is Clayton ever gonna recover?
1: Really unknown. They said, look at it, he's not you can't it's not business as usual. You know, on a scale of one to seven, with seven being the worst ever and him not and him not being able to function and one being the best ever, they all gave it a five. Like he can't stay here because he can't remember anything. You've just got to put him into long term care.
0: How do you even decide what comes next? But you know, someone that was at your side was Jen, someone that was a a friend that never let you go and believed in you. Within the same year, this person that had been your hero, she gets the worst news that you'd ever want to hear and has to tell you that.
1: It was January 2018 when Clayton had his accident and mine was in April 2017. So it hadn't been a year yet. Jen was, she was there by my side. She was organizing meal deliveries to the house and friends to help out with childcare and driving kids to hockey and, and pets and all that kind of stuff. Shoveling my driveway in February, came over for breakfast, you know, like with a, a breakfast treat and saying, Hey, how are you? Less than a month later, Tony, I get a call from her sister-in-law who says, Jen's got some news that she needs to share with you, but she can't share it herself. And basically what had happened is she had gone to the hospital and her life changed in an instant when she went in with abdominal pain and came out with a a stage four cancer, cancer diagnosis. And with not a year to live, but days or weeks. I was sitting in my favorite chair in my family room. And I sat there and I just broke down. I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. I said to myself, why, you know, if there's a God up there, why am I being punished? Why am I being asked to endure all this? Why, 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 why? And it was my son who brought me back to earth out of my head and said, when he came down, he heard me sobbing. He didn't know why I was crying, but he knew something was majorly wrong because I'd never cried that hard in my life. And when I finally got the words out, he said, mom, he said, I love you. He said, I can't make this go away. He said, but do you want to watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off With Me Tonight? That's your favorite movie. Tony, it was the worst day of my life one of the worst days of my life, but it was one of the best days of my life because I knew I'd raised a, a, a just an incredible soul, an incredible human being who knew how to love me and knew how to take care of his mom and knew what to say and do at the right time, who was caring and loving the worst because I knew what lay ahead for my friend. So when I couldn't talk to Jen, I started to write. And I wrote, I really wrote her one of the letters of my life.
0: If you can, and I know this is getting very emotional and certainly very emotional for me, but the next hundred days, you're dealing with your own injury. You're dealing with Clayton and you know that this friend that's been with you, your rock is thinking, how do you function? And at the same time, these wonderful souls that you've brought up need a mom. How does someone cope?
1: Acceptance. And I mean, it sounds very simple, but... Gratitude and acceptance. I got the worst call anyone wants to get in their life, but was honored. You have such a significant individual in your life that you love so much that you've been together with for 40 years and you know each other's thinking. They're almost like an extension of you. And instinctively, I knew what Jen needed. She needed, I knew from my experiences, I thought, you know, I haven't been chosen go through all of this because for not there's a reason I don't know the bigger purpose but I know that my friend Jen needs what I have now she and her family need help from me I sat my family down and I said again I don't know why this has happened the way it has but I know she needs me now because I understand how to help her and she did her outside in thinking and her very practical pragmatic approach to life and mine is what helped us focus on gratitude. I was so grateful to be able to help her. I was so grateful to be able to share 40 years and go over some of those memories. It was really being grateful for the time left and the time shared. And that's what did it.
0: And Jane gave you a piece of advice when you were faced with one of the biggest decisions in your life. Your two boys are going to Australia on a year-long adventure to grow up, to become men. And you've got Clayton behind you, just, you know, and realizing that relationship's never going to be different. What did Jen tell you that that helped you make one of the toughest decisions in your life?
1: She said, you know what? You never get a second chance. Cherish every day. Cherish every moment. Live joyfully. Live your life. Go do things that I never got to do because you're going to have a wonderful life. And I'm sorry I'm getting emotional.
0: You deserve to be. I'm getting emotional and I didn't live through this. And I, I know how important people like Jen are in our lives. So what, what incredible advice, selfless advice on her deathbed telling you that, which is just incredible.
1: It's not, it's not goodbye. It's bon voyage. I'm still in your heart. That's what we said.
0: You decide to go to Australia. It was time for you to go where you felt you belonged.
1: Yeah, it was, it was time for me to move on. We all make choices in life. And actually, that's what my, my latest book is about, James Jam. It's all about, you know, inspiration to create your super awesome life and how to make good choices for yourself. And I learned very quickly, cherish each moment, take care of yourself, spend time with those you love. I've always been a time sensitive person, Tony, but I really, you talk about time, you talk about the hourglass. And I, I just basically said to the universe, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of hard and sad. I want a super awesome life, but I needed time and space to do that. So leaving Clayton was easier for me at that point because I had a team in place to help with him. And I knew that I had put him and helped him reach a level where he could recover because I advocated for him. And I didn't take no for an answer. And that's really what Butterside Up is all about. Quashing the, the naysayers, quashing, you know, believing in miracles, believing that your life can be different and actually doing it, making your ideas happen. That time with my sons really was making, it was making sense of it all. But it was like, you know, what if every day could be like this? It was blissful. You know, how many women in their 50s get to travel with their sons who are in their 20s, late teens and early 20s, on an adventure to, you know, Australia and Fiji and Hawaii and San Francisco and Australia? And it was really my sons. I have to take my hat off to them. My older son, like my younger son, is is a wonderful human being. He's the guy that said... Well, mom, it's just like university. Why don't you come and drop us off? And so that's what it was. I was dropping them off. And and we started the journey together in San Francisco. And I just, oh, what a trip. How we spend our time, Tony, can make the difference between an ordinary life and an extraordinary one. So I went from a whole bunch of loss to a whole bunch of gain. I gained time and memories with my sons that most people would never have. I just cashed in the RSP. I said, that's it. I'm leaving. I don't care if I have enough money. And off I went.
2: You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC.
1: When we're kind to others, obviously it's, it's helping them, but, it, but scientifically it's also helping us in our brains because it changes the chemistry in our brains. It releases a chemical called dopamine, like a feeling of euphoria. So it not only helps others, but it helps you because it doesn't dismiss negativity or negative emotions of the moment. It helps make us more resilient.
0: My guest is Jane Enright. Three tragedies hit her in a single year and she finds a way to not only overcome them, but to change directions and chase a new dream. So let's talk about your book, Butterside Up, uh, how I survived my most terrible year and created my super awesome life. It wins awards. It flies off the shelf. I mean, this originally just started as almost a journal to help you repair your brain. Did you ever imagine all of this would lead to something where you could bring positivity to people?
1: We have messages, we have signs in our life. And as my mother said, you know, Jane, if this wasn't meant to happen, you wouldn't have been recognized for your writing. You wouldn't be standing in an indigo talking to other people. You wouldn't be on Tony Chapman's Chatter That Matters. And thank you for this, this is a gift. But no, did I ever grow up wanting to be an author or thinking I would become an author? No. Um, did I ever think that I could change people's lives for the better after the, these experiences? Yes. I went off to Australia with, for whatever reason, you know, time and space to ourselves in doing joyful things and spending time and with people we love, doing things we love gives us perspective. It was all about, okay, my super awesome life. What does that mean to me? And I thought, I'm going to start a website. I'm just going to put it out there with inspirational thinking and, you know, sharing some of my writing. I tried, I started writing travel blogs, travel bliss stories, but not in a, Oh, I went to dinner here and it was fabulous, I started telling the backstory behind it. You know, it was about, you know, babysitting Bobo the pig in Australia. It was about learning about the incredible people in Christchurch that 60,000 of them didn't have bathrooms, you know, and and how they coped. And it was about going to Italy on my yoga journey and, you know, having my Sicilian miracle happen. I started just really embracing and living in the uh, moment of where I was And that is the difference for me. I mean, what you call a super awesome life and what I call a super awesome life are totally different things. It's very subjective. It's not about being happy all the time, but it's living your life very intentionally. So we can never get back the time, but the time we have, we never know how much time we have. So sometimes we get a wake-up call. Sometimes we get a warning. Sometimes, like Jen, we don't have much time at all. So I had three very different perspectives on beginnings and endings and i said this is a new beginning so
0: this incredible gift that you have living every moment living in the moment opening your mind to where somebody might smile and take a picture and put on an instagram oh look at me with this pig you turn it into a story because you want to open people's minds and hearts to to the moment What are the moments going to be like for you going forward? What is Jane Unright going to do? I know you wrote another book, which is fantastic. It's a play up, and it's called Jane's Jam, which is great, clever from Butterside Up. But So you're an author, you're a speaker, but tell me about the moments that are going to happen going forward.
1: Well, you know, I've got a lot of unexpected travel and uh, you're going to laugh at this, but I had my tea leaves read in October uh, 2022 by a, a wonderful girl and her name is Sunny. What beautiful, wonderful serendipity. She said, I see all kinds of wonderful things happening for you, Jane. I see you talking to people. I see you all type kinds of opportunities around the world. And so it is. And this is what's happening. I've got an incredible um offer to go to back to Australia, return to Australia, and be part of a um a series, a documentary series about inspiring women around the globe with her story circle. I've been invited to Washington to speak at uh, International Women's Day Conference. I'm spending time, you know, doing joyful things, um, meeting people like you that I never imagined I would meet.
0: I know a lot of people are going to be asking, Clayton, where's he in all of this now? Is he still part of your life? Yes, he is. is
1: Very differently, though. Very differently. Again, he and I live very much in the moment. He looks out for me and I look out for him. As I said in Butterside Up, COVID really brought us together in a very different way. Because when I went to Australia, there was a time when he, he wasn't very happy with me, you know, going away and leaving for Australia, but we came back together and he's my biggest fan. He, he actually read Butterside Up before anyone else, the manuscript, because I wanted, I wanted him to feel comfortable with this. And he was so emotional and he said, Jane, Thank God you wrote all this down. He said, because I can't remember a bloody thing. He had post-traumatic amnesia. And you know what? That's a gift because he can't remember anything that happened. And he read it once. He said, I didn't realize everything that you did for me. He said, I was really angry at you. I thought you went away because you didn't want me around anymore. And it wasn't that at all. It was that I had to take time out to to get back to myself and figure out what was next for me. It's like putting your oxygen mask on. I needed that oxygen. I needed that energy. I needed that restart and that time to refresh myself so I could take the next you know step and chapter with him. So, yes, he's still very much a part of my life. I take care of him. He takes care of me. And I have a beautiful little dog, a 17-month-old puppy named Cher, Who travels with me, and she's a service dog in training. I never thought that that would happen to me. She helps me with my hearing; she hears things that I can't. And I I really do want to share with listeners: there is hope. There is hope after tragedy. There, but it it does depend on how you look at things. So, what really I'm all about now, Tony, is I've shared my stories. It took some courage to do that. I'm actually quite shy and private, but I shared my stories to help others understand that you know what you can get through it and here's some ideas about how I did it and how you maybe can get through it too but also here's how you can rethink about something and start fresh and some some tips and ideas to do that and to give you perspective.
0: Jane I mean the sad thing about when we record remote is I can't give you a hug right now because I would love to give you the world's greatest hug but I always end my show (laughs) on my takeaways and I always use the number three. First one is the word cope. Prior to this year, you helped so many people cope. And even after your accident, you continue to help people cope. But what I think was the most amazing is when you had to cope, the first thing you thought about is, I have to accept this. Instead of denying it or getting angry or getting frustrated, maybe the first step is just to accept it. The second thing that I love is you do cherish every moment. And when you're talking about that time with your boys in Australia, when you're talking about, you know, sharing that first draft with Clayton, you're living this again. You don't just let life pass by. But the third and probably the most powerful two words that I've heard yet on Chat of the Matters, and we're over 150 episodes, is when your friend Jen said, bon voyage, it's not forever. Knowing that her spirit must be just looking down and radiating. And I'm sure she would love to be down on earth with you. But I have to believe, and I'm sure you saw that in your tea leaves, that the energy she showed, the courage she showed, the advice that she gave you has just been so instrumental in letting you move forward with such a life well lived.
1: We've all had so much loss with COVID. You know, COVID has been unplanned change on steroids. Um, but we're we're all in this together. And that's why I love your show. I mean, I didn't know about you until a mutual friend, you know, suggested that we connect. And I'm so grateful because I am so excited about life. I am just so excited about what comes next because I know what it's like to go through that. I guess my most terrible year was my dress rehearsal for COVID. So when COVID came, I wrote two books I spent my time doing that and there's lots of other people, I I hope, that will listen to this broadcast and other podcasts and and really start to rethink how they're spending our time. And I think that's what COVID is. It's a wake-up call for all of us to say, what's important to you? How do you want to spend your time? How do you want to spend your days? How do you want to spend your moments? Because life can change in an instant. But it's also that mindset of things can be different, you know, things can be better.
0: Joining me now is Wayne Bossert. He's a deputy chairman and head of Global Ultra High Worth Net Clients. And as much as I'd like to talk to Wayne about what it's like to deal with ultra high net worth clients, I'm actually going to focus on what Wayne does outside of RBC. Wayne, you've been involved in healthcare for a long time, serving on a number of boards, including Trillium. And more recently, I read that you're involved with Brain Canada Foundation.
3: Uh, Brain Canada is a national not-for-profit organization which funds brain research. We've been around for about 25 years and we really focus on supporting bold, out of the box neuroscience that leads to better detection, treatment, sometimes even cures for people living with brain conditions, whether it's traumatic brain injury or hundreds of other brain diseases that affects us all. You got to know, Tony, Canada is one of the five most active countries in neuroscience. Canadian researchers have contributed to major scientific advancements in brain research that have furthered the field both nationally and globally. And we're thrilled that Brain Canada to be playing a part in that success.
0: Wade, how do we make sure that when we have that kind of intellectual firepower, and I'm also understanding we've got it in AI, quantum computing, that we can keep it in Canada, that, you know, it turns not only to just contributing to the world, but also contributing to purposeful jobs, more research, a great experience for the economy in general.
3: Yeah, I think a huge part of that, Tony, is our ability to keep the researchers in Canada, keep that intellectual horsepower at home, where they want to be, but they need access to funding, they need access to special resources, and that's specifically what Brain Canada does. It's a unique partnership with the federal government, specifically Health Canada, that matches federal government funding through the Canada Brain Research Fund with contributions from donors and partners. To date, Brain Canada has matched nearly $145 million. That means $300 million invested in Canadian researchers doing brain research in this country and keeping them close to home
0: i'll tell you that will be music to people like jane enright she's my guest this week she's living an incredible life consultant you know intellectual firepower right at the top of the the scales and then she gets hit by a volleyball in a second her life changes is that something that you run into a lot with brain issues is that freak accidents, especially with youth that might be thinking they can dive where they can dive and stuff that their whole life changes on a dime.
3: You know the brain injury Canada center estimates that one Canadian receives a brain injury every three minutes. I think that's extraordinary. to your point, like Jane's story, uh, their life can change in a heartbeat. And it, it, it's not always as serious as what Jane experienced, but inevitably there's an economic, a personal, a social impact that plays an enormous toll on some of these patients and their families.
0: I understand that from my research, RBC just made a major donation to support the foundation.
3: We've been involved with broad Canada since its inception more than 25 years ago. And I think it was a recognition by our former CEO and chair at the time, Alan Taylor, and uh, Michael Wilson, who both looked at it and said, Corporate Canada needs to do more. The human, social, economic impact of brain-related conditions of all types is just too large for us not to take a leadership role. And so we were one of the founding members of Brain Canada. We've been actively engaged. We've committed funding, volunteer hours. We've got many of our staff that are involved with uh, Brain Canada-related activities. And you're right. Very recently, we committed $2 million to create a um, youth mental health platform powered by RBC Future Launch that supports some of the pioneering research led by Dr. Sean Hill from CAMH. And they're doing extraordinary things to bring data, insights and solutions through the bold research that Dr. Hill and so many others are leading.
0: Wayne Bossert, it's a always a pleasure to chat with you, and I'm so happy, Donnelly, you came on to Chatter That Matters. It was just music to my ears. When uh, you just know that corporate Canada is doing their part to, uh, as your mission statement says, to help people thrive and communities prosper. So thank you for joining
3: me. Tony, it was great to be with you, and thanks for leading the way in this important area as well.
2: Chatter That Matters has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeart Radio Canada Talk Network.
0: Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon.